0: Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Welcome to Hashing It Out, a podcast where we talk to the tech innovators behind blockchain infrastructure and decentralized networks. We dive into the weeds to get at why and how people build this technology and the problems they face along the way. Come listen and learn from the best in the business so you can join their ranks. episode 14 hashing it out today we are joined from with uh fair kwaja from the masari coin a uh, fork of the monero coin as always colin is here with me say what's up colin
1: what's up colin
0: uh fair you want to um do the standard introduction and tell us kind of how you got into the space and uh, what you're working on now
2: cool yeah so uh my name's fair i got into this space Last year uh, I've been in crypto or at least like watching it for since 2012 or so, I've been kind of just on the sidelines. And uh, this last bull run, just before it, I kind of was just sort of playing around with uh, crypto again and Monero kind of caught my interest from Minergate. They was just this mining tool and it was like, oh, kind of just checking out just to see how, what people are doing now relative to a few years ago. And kind of just went from there and I saw Monero. And uh, what really fascinated me was the, um, the masked uh, transactions. And I was like, well, how are they doing that? You know, how do you sort of make sure that there's no double spends and that kind of stuff? And it sort of just kept going. And I found that specific technology really interesting. And. Uh, that sort of ended up what uh, brought me into Masari, which is this uh, coin that I started, and now we're here. So, uh, sort of uh, that's kind of the short form of how this cryptocurrency started. Uh, I don't know if you're looking for anything specific. Yeah, how about, how about I,
0: I, got, I got something else real quick? How about what's your background before getting into crypto? Why did you have the skills to then start working in this type of stuff?
2: Um, my background is uh, at least career-wise is in um, distributed systems. So just essentially um, uh, data engineering is kind of like my, my current software title. Mm-hmm. I'm just working with large scale uh, data systems and they're not like huge, they're not Facebook level. Like we're still just sub petabyte. so like half a petabyte or so, uh, but that's kind of my background, which is just uh, a normal to an extent uh, software background. And uh, I don't have too much on the cryptographic side in terms of experience, uh but that was just something that I found interesting and it was a bit of a sort of learning curve. It was like, okay, well, I'm trying to read these white papers, and there's all the stuff that's coming out that, uh, that out of the paper that I didn't have experience with beforehand, and I had to sort of go and learn it, but uh, I don't have any sort of direct to cryptocurrency skill set but uh, I do have experience with scale and uh, that's kind of sort of what morphed the roadmap for Masari where uh, I see some things in the Crypto, uh protocol and uh, it can be scaled in a certain way that is very different from what's out there at the moment.
1: Right. Actually, let's just jump right into that. What, um, what are the things you noticed? Uh, in the crypto, crypto note protocol that you think you can improve upon, and how does your experience with distributed systems tie into that? How did you, what, what did you pull from to to make these improvements and you know, design this?
2: Yeah, so uh, in the roadmap, if anybody kind of looks up the uh, Masari sort of website or anywhere they find information on it, they might see a hint of uh, a reference on something called block tree. It's something that I—it's I, a name that uh, I came up with with um, this protocol that I'm thinking up of that is fairly unique to Cryptonote. And uh, the reason it's unique is uh, you can partition outputs pretty easily with Cryptonote uh, protocol than if you were trying to do this on Ethereum or Bitcoin. So um, to use Bitcoin and Ethereum as an example. Um, Bitcoin uses uh, those unspent transaction outputs uh, to kind of make sure that there's no double spends and that kind of stuff. But uh, Ethereum does balances. And in the crypto note sort of realm, whenever I make uh, an output, whenever I sort of make a transaction, I am, let's say, let's say the uh, Colin is the recipient of an output that I'm about to spend to you. Uh, You are going to give me an address and I'm going to create a, one-time public key that's associated to your, um, to your address that you can sort of derive the spend key from. And when that transaction confirms, you now have sort of a random key that got attributed to your address. And those keys could be partitioned. sort of, you could just think like mod N. Like, so let's say you have sort of two, uh, you have two chains, Um, If it's just mod two, there's going to be a bunch of transactions that can sort of color in one chain and a bunch of transactions that you can color in the other. And um, when you sort of want to uh, think uh, on how to scale a system that allows you to partition transactions pretty easily, you can now think about, hey, um, if I want uh, two chains in parallel, uh, you can uh, essentially just say that, Hey, this first chain can only, uh, deal with, uh, this partition of transactions. So, uh, if like t- it just use, uh, colors or like fruits or something like, say like, it can only deal with like, you know, apple looking transactions and the other chain can only deal with orange looking transactions. So there's sort of, you, you can, uh, confirm that Uh, when a block is mined on one of these chains that they've mined the transactions that are are allowed to mine and that sort of uh, can be uh, verified uh, through uh, consensus. And the outputs of those uh, blocks, um, so with the block tree thing, the the one thing that's uh, specific to it is it's a synchronous uh, protocol proposal. So every time this block gets mined, uh, it needs to reference other blocks in the tree. Uh, so uh, we can sort of, I think, allow some leeway. Like it doesn't have to be immediately the block before. So there's a, bit of, a little bit of async uh, sort of leeway while blocks are getting mined in parallel. But uh, let's say um, I'm a certain block height for one of my chains. And the other chain, it should be uh, on par, but it's one block behind. I can still reference that block in uh, w- uh, when I'm making this new block, and uh, whatever transactions that are made in my chain will get referenced by the next block, assuming it used uh, the, uh, assuming it referenced uh, the other blocks. Um,
1: so I'm, I'm I don't I'm, have a white I'm paper kind of, yet. So. I'm kind of a little lost on this particular this, this particular section. So let's let's just slow down really talk about block trade for a second, like really like start from the very fundamental principle concept of it. You say you want to shard the, 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 the blockchain. And so that you basically mod in um, the public key, I believe you said, so that you can only mine certain. I'm not really sure how those two concepts relate at the moment, but you can only mine certain transactions on certain shards, uh, which are chains. Yeah. Which are basically side chains, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. Well, they're still the main chain. Yeah, they're still, still the main chain,
1: chain, but so you have still the main chain, but it's different it's mining partition. partitions. The partitions. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Like
2: the, um, the, the structure is the tree and uh, essentially the system, uh, can work in a forked way where, uh, I can, I, can, I still need to understand what the other chains are doing. So this mm-hmm. is where the synchronized nature is. It's, um, I know with Ethereum, uh, They're, I think, trying to come up with ways where they can just sort of just have those chains running and then do some sort of synchronization later on. But with with this idea, it's it's fairly um, fairly straightforward uh, in terms of, like, I'm still basically a chain. You can reduce the block tree into a chain, Mm -hmm. uh, but you can sort of structure it in a way where you can allow multiple blocks to be mined at the same time um so uh kind of going off of the the moden uh, thing again where oh. um if if a block mines a bunch of transactions uh they uh, they can sort of be sure that the other chains aren't mining the same transactions that they're mining so mm-hmm. that way we're not going to have some sort of uh, reorg problem where two chains mine uh the same transactions so that means we're, we're, we're not having consensus. We, we've got copies of the same transactions being mined and in, entered into the database or the blo- blockchain or whichever we want to call it. But Essentially, it's a database. Um, so par- by partitioning, you sort of uh, uh, let the network know which transactions are okay to be mined on which chains. And um, when they're referencing each other, every time I block, it's mined, So it'll be part of the sort of the proof of work. If you want to think of it that way, where, um, you know, uh, for blocks zero to n mine, n minus, uh, one, I've got a reference for their block height and sure. sort of wh- what their, what their header is. And this is what I've mined and, uh, it, sort of that can keep going as a tree.
0: Um, I have a few questions, um, in terms of overall structure here and like, dynamic it is you say mod n is that in a dynamic number or would be like a yeah like it is so you can change the the amount of chains in this tree dynamically as the chain moves
2: yeah so to use um uh, masari or monero as an example um their block um size so you know how bitcoin there's all this bitcoin uh, sort of uh hassle last year on the one megabyte limit Mm Uh, With Monero and basically any crypto uh, coin, uh, the block size is dynamic based on the median of the size of the last sort of K blocks. So given sort of whatever was mined on the network in the last, uh, let's say, 60 blocks, uh, it will determine how big the block can be before... um, before sort of adding uh punishment to the miner for making a block that big.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So uh, you as a, <clears throat> you sorry, you as a miner can put in as many transactions as you want in a block. Uh, but, uh, once you hit the current, uh, sort of determined limit, uh, you start losing, uh, uh, revenue from the reward that you have. So, uh, uh but the bigger the transactions get, Uh, over time. Let's say that, you know, you have all the blocks are full for the last whatever number of blocks. Uh, The next block uh, will just be a little bit bigger and that can keep going. Um, That same model could be put into um, this sort of block tree idea uh, where uh, let's say we're full uh, and uh, we are constantly having very large blocks. Uh, At some point, uh, you can decide as a network, hey, the last K blocks were uh, really fat. They're they're really full. And uh, we hit some sort of uh, limit on how big we can make these blocks. Let's now split uh, uh, by two and sort of fork the chain into the tree. So uh, at that point, uh, basically everybody uh, would uh, be able to determine that uh, this next Uh, after this block needs to fork into two blocks uh, or into two two chains where there are two different blocks being mined. And that would be determined by essentially just transaction um, or sorry, block size. And if uh, the network sees that it's not getting enough transactions, uh, let's say, you know, we we got this massive influx of transactions, all of a sudden it forked into a tree. And uh, for the next 24 hours, let's say, um, it was really busy and then it slowed things down and the last uh, K blocks uh, are have not that many transactions. The network can determine that, hey, um, right now we're uh, a tree of uh, two chains and this is too much uh, too much scale. Like we, we don't need this and it can sort of uh, fork back into a chain. Uh, so you can sort of have a, um, uh, it can just kind of d- either divide by two or, uh, times by two in, in terms of how many chains you can have as part of the tree. okay. Um, and the... you, can, you can, you can, bring that into the protocol where it's like, Hey, just dynamically scale as much as you need. And this will allow, um, you know, given however, how many transactions you can mine per block, um, uh, and blocks times the number of TPS, uh, per block.
0: The next question that seems to be, be what, would seem to be a difficult situation is how do you deterministically differentiate what block can mine what, like you said, like, you know, say a Uh certain chain mines, a certain type of transaction. How do you do that automatically? And then how do you then, um, the next question would be, how do miners keep track of what forks are supposed to be mined and the transactions mined on them, which kind of tie together.
2: Right. So, um, I was trying to use this analogy earlier. I think it's a shitty analogy, but uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's some way of uh, making it uh, more real instead of just numbers. But um, when you partition these chains, uh, so like in terms of numbers, like let's say uh, all these transaction outputs—they're all one-time public keys. They're all just a number. And uh, let's say that it, let's say just a chain of two. Uh, the tree at the moment, in theory, is just two chains. Um, uh, that means the the transaction that I just sent Colin, uh, let's say it falls in the mod uh, so when you mod two, uh, that it falls in the zeroth chain. So it's in the it's in the absolute first first chain, and that means that that block that chain can only mine um, uh, sort of uh, that transaction when it's being spent.
0: Oh, okay. You're bifurcating the state and then those change only look at that particular um, section of their state, to look to see yeah. who has access to then spend that um, that on chain state. So like, they'll only care about things that reference those transaction IDs.
2: When they're being spent when they're being so, spent. so
0: they're monitoring the the entire transaction pool for those things.
2: Yeah. So, so uh, Uh, The problem that would, I think, uh, manifest here, and uh, there are are ways to sort of consider this, but I think uh, uh, it's just a consideration. Let's say I make a transaction that, as inputs, has uh, outputs that fall in both both chains. That means I have Mm -hmm. a transaction with inputs that are coming in from different chains. Uh, uh, We can sort of, as part of the protocol, either restrict it so that you can only use uh, outputs from uh, given give whatever the network's currently at from a certain uh, transi- uh, from a certain uh, partition, or have some sort of a way of determining. Hey, okay, I've got a dirty uh, transaction here. Um, we to deterministically figure out a way to um, uniformly distribute it across between the two chains. Uh, but we can't have both chains mining the same transaction because uh, if you do that, uh, the network would essentially start to panic. Like, Hey, we, we've just mined the same thing twice. We can't have that. Um, and, uh, in terms of indexing, uh, when those transaction new transactions get made, they're going to have a specific index in the database. Um, uh, it, will it, it'll, it, it'll it, basically there, there's a, an input problem and there the, the, you would need to partition the transactions properly. But, uh, in theory, uh, that's pretty much how you would partition. Um, uh, one chain can deal with only uh, inputs uh, from uh, a certain, certain range of outputs and its output can be whatever it needs to be. So uh, uh, like if you're making an output to um, Corey here uh, and that output happened to be in the other chain, it's fine because um, the other chain will will see that new transaction being confirmed uh, the next time it sees the block being, uh, uh, being emitted. And, uh, uh, when the next time it references the block, let's say there was a block that just got mined and it referenced the other chain, uh, where your transaction laid, um, it can now use that output if, uh, Corey wants to spend it uh, again. This is really hard without any pictures or yeah. Uh, yeah. So like I have, um, uh, I was actually talking with some of the guys on the core team yesterday, and like, uh, it was like, you know, I'm I'm just gonna make at least for now a small diagram to sort of at least visualize it a bit, but it doesn't need a white paper to sort of be laid out, and uh, guys like you or anybody else could look at it and peer review it. But um,
1: uh, so my question is, I guess let's let's start with the distributing of. Hash power does that does that have a concern? You split the you split the chain into one direction or another. How do you know that the hash power is being distributed evenly or in a reasonable way?
2: Yeah, so uh, this is where the referencing uh, comment that I, I made comes in. Um, if these chains can just sort of be mined uh, without considering the other chain, mm-hmm. uh, over time uh, the difficulty of those chains will drop. Because mm-hmm. we, we're getting, in, you know, uh, uh, let's say up to half of the half of the um, miners on the chain. That means it's going to be too difficult and it'll sort of be just less. And that is an attack vector and that would cause problems. But when you reference, uh, when these chains are aware of each other, uh, there's a cumulative difficulty that's there that is, if, essentially sums up to what the entire network uh, difficulty is. Uh, so if somebody's trying to attack one of these chains, they're trying to do a 51% attack or uh, wh- whatever kind of attack they might be doing, um, uh, they're going to have to deal with the entire network rejecting what they're doing because there are a bunch of uh, blocks that have referenced a certain uh, block that they're trying to attack, and then they will have a cumulative difficulty that they need to um, uh, they need to exceed, so they can't right, just. But-
1: how does that affect hash power? Like the original question was like, you've got all these, you're splitting the chain and then you're mining separate forks of this yeah. chain and that keeps going and going and going. So in, like, let's just say you have extremely high volume. Yeah. And so let's just say for testing purposes, you set the parameters on block size really low, like a thousand kilobits. Sure. You know, so it's sure. you know, not, not 1, 000, like a thousand, like a 10 kilo, something ridiculously sure. low, I don't know. Sure. And then that, that, tests, that, that stress tests the whole like splitting concept, right? Right. How do now you have five miners and on your test network, and you have let's just say a hundred different little forks going on in this block tree, right? Sure. How do you? How is all that? Where's that mining power really distributed? I don't really. So like the attack power, it's not even a matter of like an attack vector. It's a matter of how many people are actually able to um, do the mining work necessary to produce future blocks.
2: Right. Um, So uh, this referencing uh, scheme kind of, uh, you can have as part of the protocol um, requirements that uh, a block can't be mined until um, uh, the uh, other blocks in the chain are close enough in height to Uh current chain. So
1: so this is like Cadena's model then. Um, Seems similar similar to the model. Yeah, it's pretty similar. It's not the same, mind you. Um, they used a different approach, and their approach is to use graph theory. Um, so there's a specific type of graph. I forget the name of the graph. Uh, but uh, essentially, you can, no node can be more than n degrees away from, n hops away from another node, uh, sorry, in the graph. Now, picture that each True. node in the graph is a specific chain. That enables you to make sure that the block headers on – as long as you include the nearest neighbor block headers, that you are at least n hops, n, n blocks away from confirming any transaction. Um, it's a similar concept to what you're doing, um, and it forces miners to take the responsibility of distributing their own yeah. hash power across the network because if they yeah. don't, the network they can't. dies. Right, but you, right. They, their methodology is basically – doesn't include a rejection mechanism, um, meaning that if if it, it it forces the whole network to participate in a positive way, you actually sound like you say, okay, well, rather than going with a graph theory thing, we're going to go with just a standard tree scenario, which is essentially a. It sounds like a, a very simple, it's a, Merkle a tree almost. Tree. Yeah, yeah. It's a balanced tree. It's a, a it's a balanced it binary tree every time, or uh... that's a, that's basically that's all it is. But so when you like, say mod n, you're really 2 Yeah,
2: uh, it, it's mod n, so it's not like a it's not like a, an, a properly balanced tree. Cause like, you know, mm. the every, every node is going to have, uh, uh, you know, you have to break off according, but this is a very long sort of balanced tree. So like basically gotcha. the, the tails off of each fork are, sh- should be within like, let's say two nodes of each inches of height. Okay. Um, so it's not, so it's not like a, a but you, you reject
1: a, people who are specifically doing bad things. I mean, I guess, how, how would you even know? I think is the question I would have yeah. at that point. So,
2: so uh, let's say um, I, as a miner, uh, really just like chain zero. That's all I'm going to mine on. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, let's say chain zero is at height 10, just for simplicity's sake. And chain one is at height uh, 8. So mm-hmm. uh, when I mine the 10th block, uh, let's say that the difference, the height difference, can only be two, just for, mm-hmm. uh, just arbitrarily for, yeah, for now. Okay. Um, and uh, when I mine the 10th block, uh, I need to reference, uh, uh, cryptographically, the 8th block uh, in the other chain. Probably the 8th block in the other chain. So in, as part of the yeah. sort of the block... Yeah, yeah. include yeah. the block headers, include, essentially. Include right? the block header. Like, yeah. okay, this This was in the this was last checkpoint, essentially, in the uh-huh, other chain. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and now the block 10th tenth, tenth block is mined, uh, but this really happy, eager sort of... Uh, Miner wants to still mine on chain zero. They want mine chain 11, but they can only reference uh, block eight on the other chain. Uh, that, let's say they do that, but huh. it would be invalid. Network would reject it because like, hey, you referenced a block that is uh, more than two uh, away or like the, the, with a height greater than two than your current chain. That's mm-hmm. an invalid block. So you can sort of ah. enforce it that way.
1: Ah, and you can zip all the way back up to the original root chain if the network traffic goes down. So you could go. So let's yeah. just say the root node. Let's stop calling it node zero and just call it the root node. Block height zero. Um, and then you could go block height one, which could have like let's say three, or I don't know if you necessarily it's split into two. Just it's binary. It's just it's like, binary. Okay. So yeah, there's yeah. there's there's two nodes there. So you know, and then block height block height uh, one would be you know two nodes away. And then I'm sorry, not block height chain difference height. I guess you could say like actual. <laughs> I don't know what to call that tree. I, I don't know call. I what to, call it. I don't know what to call it either. We'll call it yeah. tree height depth. We'll call it depth sure. one. Depth the, the depth
2: is fair. That, that's
1: yeah. So depth one uh, chains would be a fork of the depth zero chain. And that would be the next layer down. And then each one of those can have their own sort of difficulty uh, adjusted yeah. so that they're less mining power. Maybe yeah. less than half actually might even be yeah. necessary uh, don't know what the exact math on that would be, but they would have to have their difficulty lowered dynamically right. to yeah. adjust for the difference between the difficulty at, at at depth zero, which is the root node, root yeah. chain, and then their mining, their mining power down at two. Now, each Perfect one of yeah. those can have their own hash power or uh, transaction volume uh, increase or decrease in an uneven way, meaning that yeah. one uh, can split, uh, one of the two nodes on depth one can split into two more i call them nodes i got to stop doing that it's really difficult because the conversation there's nodes in like the networking sense and then there's nodes in like the topography of data structure sense yeah, yeah. um so there's there's actually you could split either one of those two subchains at depth 0 um yeah. and they could go into a depth 2 subchain um which then invalidates any mining that's occurred on depth 0 subchain Um, because you have to be, well, actually it wouldn't at that point, because if you set your depth requirement to say two, then that would be a problem. I I see where you're going with this. I think, um, I think there's a couple issues that, that I I have with this. Uh, How do you ensure that one side of the tree doesn't become overpowered?
2: Right. So, um, in terms of overpowering, uh, you kind of already brushed on it, um, because we've got these two independent, uh, or not independent. Like they're interdependent chains. They they do depend on each other, but they're they can run sort of uh, on their own to an extent. Uh, the difficulty, like you said, will essentially have to half when this fork happens because mm-hmm. we only have uh, you Less know uh, we only have this amount of compute uh, on the network, and it needs to be split between these two uh, chains. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say that the. Miners are veering more towards the second chain. That means over time, uh, the chain, the first chain, is going to take longer and longer to mine its blocks, and uh-huh. the difficulty will drop. That means from uh, an incentive perspective, miners now want to mine more on that chain because it's yeah. cheaper to mine, and uh, it'll kind of uh, be- because of the difficulty that's in place, it'll sort of auto balance where uh, miners have to, uh, uniformly mine across all the chains in the tree. Because, uh, if they leave one behind too much, they're gonna, uh, basically give an advantage to a miner that sees that difficulty drop and they can mine cheaper coins essentially. Hmm. Um, so that, that sort of maintains the balance, um, and the hash rate, uh, basically being even between them because. A, it's going to be cheaper for somebody else to mine the block uh, if somebody's uh, or if, uh, as aggregate, we're neglecting a chain, and um, the the height requirements, the sort of the uh, the node height requirements uh, uh, to reference these chains, uh, will force people to mine on other block other chains anyway. So if one chain is uh, basically now unminable because uh, uh, some some other chain is too far behind, then people are going to need to jump to that chain. Um, And then this is sort of allowed or doable because this is, uh, you know, it's a semi-async system. Like I, I, as a a node, still know about all the chains that occur. So uh, uh, this is essentially like a a step towards being more async where maybe I don't need to know about what's going on in the other chains. But I think uh, what I'm trying to propose here is uh, essentially a stepping stone to like, hey, uh, let's prove out a block tree system. And then mm-hmm. from there, and, and that it's a proof of work block tree system. And then from there, can we sort of make something more async where if you want to scale this even more, where it gets so huge that one node can't sort of uh, reasonably uh, maintain all the all the chains, then you can sort of uh, take that step even further. But I think that's like a, uh, that's that's a sort of a much further uh uh, milestone than the current uh, proposal.
0: Yeah, I, I, see, uh, I see. I see. If I were to try to view what you're trying to do, it's you're, you're bifurcating the. Um, I don't know if it, a crypto crypto night is it is in a UTXO model or the blockchain is in a UTXO model. But if I were to say the state, you're bifurcating the state based on activity, um, and as that tree grows, you continuously bifurcate based on activity of users. Um, of that sub state that they've used. So like the people who are being the most active end up being the ones that end up bifurcating the the, this, the chains into more and more and more chains. Um, and the people who are, I guess, less active and you know, more huddle mentality tend to stay on the higher tree depth chains, if you will. Cause if you look at like yeah. what, where the actual state lives, it's going to be the bottom of the entire tree. Yeah. Regardless of depth. That's- and so, exactly. and so, and as, and as the activity of those people on those specific chains changes, the depth changes.
2: Yeah. So, uh, you, you, touched on that point, uh, which I think, uh, might give a good insight on how we can share transactions between chains. Uh, basically, like you said, basically the bottom, the, the, the lowest height chain is essentially the minimal, um, active, space. minimal height that people can pull transactions from. Because uh, um, uh, for that chain at a certain height, uh, nobody can sort of uh, use uh, uh, chains, uh, sorry, nobody can use outputs uh, higher than that height, because there's still sort of uh, um, uh, consensus to sort of settle and yeah, I I I don't think I'm making that as, as clear as I thought it would
1: be. Yeah, but, so let um, me let me just let me just um. We could do this for. I'm not everybody. sure. Let me let me let me <laughs> let me just stop right there and, and say what's really kind of like twerking my brain at the moment. Where where is state is stored at the at the root? Then the the top level... the most the most depth zero trees is what's holding the, the entire state. Is that correct? Uh, it, no. So the the whole tree is the state,
2: but uh, the, uh, shortest height chain, mm-hmm. is essentially the cutoff for where we can pull transactions from, um, pull transactions from what does that mean? So, um, the, these chains are going to be uh, producing outputs mm-hmm. and, um, uh, one chain is going to be producing outputs for a specific partition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if I were to use, uh, if I were to use those outputs, uh, I'm basically restricted by the height that that chain is at. Uh, but uh, they should there are only going to be uh, two nodes apart. Let's say if, if we're still using the same uh, number, uh,
1: call them chain chain depth. I think yeah. is probably the easiest term because like nodes is confusing.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So two two depths apart from each yeah. other, and um, just that's basically it. Just like uh, Below that cutoff is like when the entire uh, network, the entire uh, blockchain, if you were to re- you, can, you can still reduce it to a blockchain, uh, the entire blockchain at that point is accessible to pull transactions from. Uh, so let's say I, as a user, want to send you guys uh, some Asari um, and I have outputs in both chains, I can make I can make transactions that are going to be sort of uh, uh, verifiable it's like it's a good regular chain like I, I guess i'm i'm saying the same 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 thing it, oh so you could like, submit a
1: transaction kind of... to so like let's say i wanted to let's say I'm, I'm eight down on one chain i want to send a transaction on that particular let's, this is called uh, the the leaf leaf depth eight and the other one is on a whole nother side of the side of the the tree and it's leaf, leaf depth 10 um now i want to send a transaction all the way over to the other side of the tree it's, it's literally accessible. on the other side. I would have to submit that transaction to the depth zero chain. That would make it visible to both sides.
2: Oh, no, no, no. So, so a uh, depth, uh, okay. I see where, you, where you're getting at um, the depth zero, where the, these guys forked, uh-huh. um, uh, that's, uh, that's not dependent on how many transactions were uh, sort of spent or sorry, on how many blocks were mined uh, from that depth. So all those blocks are still accessible at any of the chains it's just that 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 just happened to be a fork uh that happened that the network still is consistent at the end like it's all the same database still it's all the same Ah, chain
1: so then that leads me to the other question i've been kind of like having uh part of the purpose of sharding isn't just to balance transaction load it's also to balance uh memory management yeah meaning that uh You know, I don't want to store the entire state of a blockchain that's receiving a thousand transactions a second um, on my little IoT device. I want the ability to hop in and do things at any point and still be able to kind of like have a lightweight syncing process and a lightweight, um, uh, you know, uh, ability to send and receive and confirm transactions without having um, massive memory overhead. Um, What does that mean for your system?
2: Right. So, um, this is, uh, I think, uh, like I was saying, it's part of the next steps after having proved out this initial, um, data structure, uh-huh. uh, where I, as a miner uh, or an observer, uh, don't necessarily need the entire network to, uh-huh. uh, participate in it. And, uh, that might, um, jump into a weird, like, I, I, I haven't thought this part out because it's sort of not uh, in, in the first milestone, but it's basically you're going to need at least one, um, at least one chain that's keeping track of um, the state of everything uh, in the other chains. Like, hey, mm-hmm. it, you know, these are all the checkpoints that are occurring throughout time uh, mm-hmm. relative to all these chains. And, and those chains can sort of operate inter, uh, independently. Um uh, for those chains to operate independently and you're part of that, um, let's say your outputs are part of that chain. Uh, if you produce, uh, outputs that need to live on another, um, uh, on another chain, there needs to be, uh, a form of transitioning state to the other chain. So it, it becomes, uh, uh, it, it becomes a different challenge uh, when you go fully async where there, those chains aren't able to access, um, outputs from another uh,
1: well this is where i think the advantage of just being a coin and not being something like ethereum kind of comes in and this is what goes back to what i was thinking before why not submit the transaction to the root chain and a proof that you have funds meaning that you've got the ability to basically build what are essentially merkle proofs with a system similar similar to this if you could bifurcate in a more uh in a different way or even uh you know, just a proof of funds submitted to the root chain since I'm on say depth depth 10 on all the way other side of the tree of where my funds are currently being used on on, on depth zero. I could submit to the depth zero and then That's it would be, it, with a proof of funds and it would actually allow the depth 10 to confirm that transaction in some way.
2: That's a good idea. So I'm thinking um, again, I haven't given this part too much thought, but um, uh, if we were transition state and uh, the sub chains are all homogenous, mm-hmm. uh, there might be checkpoints that have to be made across all the chains. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're all split, great. Uh, but at some point, in, as part of the proof of work, everybody as part of the protocol has to come back together at a certain uh, height. Uh-huh. And uh, that would be the sync point from one chain to the other, where now your funds are accessible and you can sort of repeat where the split might happen again. Um,
1: But um, uh, I I I feel feel like like that that even doesn't even need to have like a checkpointing system because you can, you can, you can literally, as long as you're submitting the block headers for all the way up the chain. And then the root chain is kind of like a beacon. Right. I feel like you could just, every time a block is produced, you also produce a, a hash in that root blockchain. And then every time you want to submit a transaction to somebody on the other side of the chain, you could submit a proof which agrees with that hash, yeah, uh, which is very difficult cryptic you know, to fake and to a high degree of confidence, I feel like you could actually prove that this transaction is valid, and you only have to do that all the way up to the point where the other you're trying to go so let's just say we cut this tree in half, okay, and I want to go only up to the fourth depth uh from where I am. I'm at eight depth and I want to go up four and over over three. I only have to submit to the parent of both of those, both of those over three, over sure. two. Yeah. I only have to submit to the, the parents of that particular one. And I can actually make a proof, which goes only up to the point where I need it.
2: So, um, to give, uh, cause you guys did state that, um, this is the first uh, talk on, uh, yeah. like a yeah. full coin. Um, uh, the, there's a, the one thing that makes this easy is also the, the thing that would make what you're talking about a little bit hard. And that's why it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's not, it, as a milestone, it's not, it's not there. Um, these one-time outputs uh-huh. uh, that get made uh, when somebody wants to spend this transaction, uh, there is something called a key image. So it's uh, essentially the proof that somebody owns that transaction and is spending it.
1: Uh-huh. Uh,
2: this key image, uh, there can only be one in the system. Uh, like if basically you can prove that a transaction is spent, uh, it, you can only spend a transaction if you provide a key image and if that key image already exists in the system that means this output has already been spent um, and that's because uh, of um, the ring CT protocol and the cryptonote protocol where um, yeah, this transaction is hidden like it's uh, there mm-hmm. are a bucket, uh, there's a ring of outputs it's by default uh, private yes yeah, mm-hmm. by default private so like I don't know where this is coming from but I at least have the proof that somebody um uh, uh, sign this from the key image and I can confirm that they didn't do this before because that key image will, will have to appear again. Um, and that's my way of verifying that this has been, um, spent or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, this, uh, this fully async model would have to account for the current system where, uh, that's kind of the, what's, what's there where, uh, you know, I have to provide these transactions. There's going to be key image that proves, um, that I uh, have signed these outputs, and uh, figure out a good way to essentially have it be part of the syncing system.
0: I have a question about kind of your your initial initial design decisions. And and what leads to what you've been talking to just just now is, is why did you choose Monero to fork from? Did did it afford you some luxuries in terms of scaling out um, how to do sharding and things like that? Or was it you were initially um, interested in the privacy aspects of Monero, and then you just got set with the foundation that CryptoNote is and how Monero works.
2: So um, uh, Monero, when I first came across it, it was just by chance. Um, and, but the more I looked into it, the more its features really stuck out for me. So this is where my background in distributed systems came in. Where uh, I'm, you know, I kind of uh, at one point I'm sitting down trying to understand how these proofs work, how, how does the, you know, how do you use homomorphic encryption to, uh, you know, confirm that there's no double spans and all this kind of stuff. And the, um, this, the one-time public key outputs really stuck out for me because it's in, in a very similar way, how distributed systems work, where, um, I need to do things at scale, these things, don't necessarily need to know about each other. You can just sort of uh, in parallel compute a bunch of things uh, across different machines, and there's the whole scaling paradigm that, uh, that at least, is currently uh, you know like Spark or Hadoop, or they, they kind of like MapReduce, mm-hmm. and th- that functional programming paradigm is very prominent in in that in, in that sort of uh, sector. And it, this one-time public key uh, sort of part of the feature really stuck out for me as a thing that you can partition. Like, I don't need to um, have a single chain that is uh, 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 to process all of this. I can have many chains that can process all of these and I can partition the data in a way that um, is uh, valid, that that I'm not going to have duplication of transactions uh, because I can partition it slash shard. I, I know sharding is the keyword that everybody likes to use in crypto, but
0: it's the same um, kind of concept. You're partitioning yeah. state somehow, and then yeah. finding ways of people to have strong guarantees that they can move one state to another state, or one partition to another partition, or shard yeah. to another shard, whatever whatever you want to call it. You're just yeah. making sure that the people who are validating transactions or watching the blockchain don't have to watch the entire thing at the same time.
2: Yeah. So uh, the uh, uh, the caveat again, uh, like, like I said before, is uh, as this, for this first pass, it's not fully async it's Mm -hmm. partially async where uh, you know the daemon still needs to know about the other chains but that's something that could be worked on uh once that gets proved out you know i i still need to put up the white paper it still needs to be peer-reviewed and uh you know these kind of conversations need to be had uh quite a bit you guys are actually the first people Mm -hmm. i've really talked to there's some people from from my work that i've kind of discussed this with but um uh there's only one person uh, that's actually part of my team that can actually sort of, that has enough technical know-how within cryptocurrency. It's uh, uh so it's, yeah, it's gonna, a bit hard. It's hard to
0: find people that one, aren't ideologically driven enough to like outright reject what you're doing because it's not what they're doing and to have the prowess to be able to understand what you're saying. Uh, And critique it and critique it. So I look forward to seeing, I look forward to seeing the white paper and seeing if I can find faults and potential solutions to those faults, if they exist.
1: Where are you going to vet the white paper other than here? So part of the thing I really want to learn about is the thought process behind starting your own coin. So um, the human side of this, I know that we're a technical podcast, but there are, there are a lot of coins Um, and what made you create your own rather than joining another project and presenting your ideas to them?
2: Yeah. So, um, I, I could have, uh, just worked on Monero and like, uh, it, it's possible. This might've been the better approach where I got, uh, more experience, uh, through Monero first before I kind of jumped ship and
1: came up with, uh, my own fork. Um, the great things spent- are done by people who do it before they're ready to do it. <laughs> yeah, <you> know, <laughs> That's how the world works. You know, You know, if you're ready to do it, then you're already past the point where you need to be. <laughs> f- f- fair enough. Um, I-, I think
2: for Masari, the a specific thing that happened there um, is um, I'm not going to be able to do this with Monero. Monero is uh, fairly well established, um, you know, at least relatively speaking, obviously not to Bitcoin, But Krenz on sort of. It's another beast, but Monero is pretty solid. It's got its own research team. Uh, They've got a very set schedule. They've got some really smart people there that are um, arguably uh, much more knowledgeable in the field than I am. And um, so I can't just come in and be like, hey, guys, you know, (laughs) let's change everything. And uh, that's not going to happen. And uh, that already sort of in a way happened with uh, a difficulty algorithm that um, I first made. Uh, Because when the coin first started, um, uh, I didn't know about this at the time, but obviously there's nice hash and all these uh, hash power rental uh, services that are out there. And effectively, anybody that has Bitcoin now has a mining farm at their disposal. Somebody could really attack the network and sort of uh, as an adversary, uh, exploit what currently exists as a difficulty algorithm. And uh, Masari really suffered... uh, Basically, within days of the first exchange, it was like a month in. It was a sort of, uh, you know, not, not a big exchange, it's a fairly small exchange. And somebody came in and started uh, completely, completely um, exploiting the default algorithm that Monero was using. Uh, Monero was fine. It was essentially just using a simple moving average to compute difficulty block to block. But um, for a small coin, somebody could essentially just come in. Um, completely blast the network with compute for the first, um, say, like third of the blocks and uh, leave. So now the difficulty will start creeping up while there's no miners on the network. And right. um, so it it's wasn't hot, responsive. Man. Yeah, so it was, that, was, that was really bad. But um, it's great
1: because you're doing a coin which splits the difficulty, meaning that the problem that Monero has with their moving average thing won't, won't impact Monero. But if you're splitting the difficulty on your on your on your system, like, you know, the fact that you were a small coin and were attacked in this way is actually proof of, hey, we need to fix this. And how do we fix this? and How can we test that? Exactly. And uh, so I came up with something and I feel
2: really bad for this because like the I started making commits and people um, because this was happening everywhere. This wasn't just Masari were picking up incomplete part of the code that I had, which had some uh, sort of bugs in it and kind of just put it in their code and left it behind. Uh-oh. And they got sort of exploited on a thing that I that was in my code uh, because they sort of just copied and pasted without looking too much on what was going on. Um, uh, when I first had the problem, I actually forked off, or not forked off, I, I bar- uh, took some code from uh, a coin called SumoCoin. coin. Uh, they had a difficulty algorithm for it but their block emission rate was uh, once every four minutes. Mine was every two two minutes. And uh, that algorithm actually was not good. Like, but because uh, I had a smaller block uh, rate, my network was still getting attacked. And that's when I sort of made my own um, difficulty algorithm. Uh, But uh, I have to give credit to a person uh, who was by the name of uh, Zowie. Uh, He's the one essentially, uh, he came up with a weighted harmonic algorithm uh, mean uh, basically essentially just weighs later blocks higher than earlier blocks on figure out what the next difficulty is and I implemented the algorithm that that, that he had um, and there was this uh, I can send you guys uh, one of the people in our community made essentially a history of uh, our forks because we just had to keep forking because just more problems kept coming um, uh the uh recurrent one is uh the latest rendition of what he has it's a linearly weighted um uh moving average uh, algorithm and uh uh, i'm kind of happy in a way that uh i feel like a lot of the initial work that i did did sort of um boom a lot of the coins that currently exist crypto coins uh uh, they a lot of times they would just die. I didn't know this before, but they would just die because of all these attacks that would happen, especially when a coin hits uh, an exchange. And now there's just so many coins, and they're all using um, uh, these algorithms. Uh, a bunch are still using the uh, original one that I made, and a bunch are using the uh, most recent rendition. Uh, uh, and like you know, so it's it's kind of nice it's just seeing that uh, uh, the the Masari community has made an impact in in uh, you know. In some form on on the on the sector, um, but that's that's a little uh, not necessarily <laughs> a rant, but like it's a kind of a uh, oh sorry I, I forgot what I was getting at with this yeah so uh, uh, there was a difficulty algorithm uh-huh. um, and uh, there was a newer difficulty algorithm that was implemented. I wasn't necessarily part of the original implementation for it, but I added some stuff to it and uh, I updated my pull request with my original algorithm to Monero. So there was this pull request that was made to Monero. And it's still sitting there because it needs to go through a bunch of auditing. Like here's a, here's a consensus critical addition and it's a difficulty algorithm. Anything that, uh, other than what uh, currently Monero has is better uh, arguably, um, but it's not going to get added in uh, or it's not it, it's sort of in any quick manner because uh-huh. it's consensus critical. It needs, it needs all these checks and uh, I can't have done uh it is a heavier kind of contributions under Monero's umbrella because, gotcha. of that,
1: uh, so because let's, of that. let's talk about then the value of your coin. Do sure. you care? Um, I don't,
2: I don't really care. No.
1: Um, <laughs>
2: obviously people uh, sort of will uh, uh, rant and they are watching the numbers uh, all the time. Uh, I wasn't really sure what was going on. Like, cause I, I'm still, uh, I'm still employed. So I'm, I'm doing, uh, uh, I'm kind of splitting my time between uh, my day job and my night job, essentially, which is Masari. And this past while, the coin sort of tanked a lot in price, and I wasn't—I didn't even know that was happening. And there was just a lot of ranting in uh, <laughs> sort of what's going on, and like you know, it, it essentially, just there's the, the markets going down in general, and there's all this stuff. But I don't really pay attention too much to the price.
1: But doesn't the coin price impact how your network is being used and how well you can test out your ideas yeah, so there's yeah. kind of a double edged sword to that on the one hand, you are considering this a test network it's still very early you're working on well technically ethereum's in the same boat um, and uh and i mean you're you want to have transaction volume, you want to have people yeah. using this, so you want the coin to have value, but on the other hand, you don't want to impact that value by ne- that value to impact your ability to make experimentation happen on your network. Yeah. Um,
2: so, so uh, I agree. Um, I think it, it needs to be in both in terms of in terms of price. So like the low price, the low volume effectively is what uh, drove uh, uh, implementation of uh, new difficulty algorithms. Cause if it wasn't low, if it was something like Monero, that problem wouldn't have been really an urgent problem. Um, it was obviously an energy problem for um, Bitcoin cash when they forked um, the same person actually, Zawi, he's, he, he implemented their uh, difficulty when I designed it difficulty algorithm that they're using. So he, he the person is fairly renowned in the, in the crypto space, but so yeah, so like low volume, it, it has its own problems that needs uh, to be solved. And when it's higher priced um, uh, th- that volume, I think becomes important and um, also for it just you know, it, 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 in terms of funding, like at some point, I would rather do this full time than split uh, my time between uh, day job and not. And like you know, I, I've been mining this thing since the beginning, so uh, at a certain price, uh, I can do this uh, independently. So uh, obviously, I don't care too much about the price because I'm still employed. I, I still pay the bills. I still can put bread on the table. Um, but if, uh, this thing hits uh, certain prices that effectively allow me to transition my time hundred percent on Masari, then, uh, you know, uh, all to it. And th- that, I think that can sort of, um, have its own advantages. So both funding, um, uh, volume, uh, problems. So like, uh, you know, a block tree is not going to be needed if I keep having a low volume chain, you know, but this huh. is a, it's not necessarily for Masari. this is as a, uh, as a thing that other coins can use, this is essentially trying to put research on onto the space that can be used by other cryptocurrencies. So I'm, I'm not trying to be selfish in any way. It's like, hey, let's let's try and let's try to make this place better.
1: And, so let's uh, uh, like one 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 thing that kind of interests me about this is this is a fork of Monero. Um, so it, ha- it it's basically you're implementing features you would like to propose to the to to the world as a good feature. Yeah. zcash had zk snarks algorithm um in their uh in their protocol and then ethereum went oh that's a great idea yoink um right. how do you feel about people taking the things that you develop and integrating them into their other projects um like uh, let's say monero looks at what you're doing and goes that's a great idea we'll put that on the roadmap um is that a good thing for you or a bad thing um, I think it's
2: ultimately a good thing, like, cause it's a non-zero value add to mm-hmm. the space. Like, um, so uh, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, make a thing, Masari only, Like, that, that's not, that's not the community that, uh, the, that cryptocurrency sort of the, the, the crypto space, uh, uh, dev- and, uh, uses as an MO and, um if whenever comes and uses something where we uh we've developed uh like that's, that's great um i think in zk snarks case uh it's really more used in an enterprise space for ethereum so i don't think i, I don't know too much about this uh, what's going on with ethereum all, uh, as a public mainnet but on the private uh, private sector uh they're using these uh, private chains for enterprise and zk snarks is being used essentially as uh, contract uh as private contracts Um, and uh, there's a new uh, variant, I think called ZK Starks, which doesn't need, um, forget what they called it, but essentially those, uh, those keys that were first made to uh, that got thrown away. Doesn't require the Uh,
0: ceremony, the initial ceremony for. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. So that's, that's really good. Uh, I don't know the state of it right now, but um, that's something that Monero might consider using. Um, so it's it's stuff that can happen across, um, you know. It's a good value add. It doesn't need to stick to one coin. Um, I, I don't see the uh, necessity for it, but it doesn't mean that the Zcash team is um, is uh, redundant in any way. They're they're still providing value.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of I mean, there's a lot of cross promotion across cross utility, other things that get devolved. I mean, the reason, at least the way I see it, based on this this conversation here. Was that Masari was created so that you have a agile testbed for doing these types of innovations? we do not have to worry about going through the, I guess we'll call it decentralized bureaucracy of getting things passed on yeah. on consensus level changes and with the fundamental ways in which these networks operate. So if you find something that's useful, of course people are if going to just use do it. it. Right? It's just, they just need the prerequisites. Maybe there's certain things about ring signatures that need to be implemented in the network first before your block tree works or something like that. So that depends on what the implementation details are. But those who have that prerequisites will have firsthand experience in a open network that shows that these things work, and don't have to learn from all of the mistakes that you're going to end up making in the process of doing it. And that's just the way this that seems to be the way progress in this space works. And the people who would like to make a bet on whether or not that's going to be a useful scenario, can buy the coin and contribute to what you're doing, in hopes that, yeah. you know, it gives them incentive to just either work on it or try and push it out or do those things inside of it. So that's, yeah. at least that's the way I kind of see like, the purpose of, of your network.
2: There's, um, uh, I think there's a phrase, uh, I kind of agree with or I would like to aspire to this uh, as much as I can, because obviously it's not at the scale yet. But uh, for Masari to be, Masari to Monero, uh, for it to be, uh, the same as Litecoin to Bitcoin. Um, Mm. Litecoin definitely made, um, a lot of technical advancements. Like there are more than just sort of, uh, pull requests that make the code better per se. I know Litecoin is not exactly the direct descendant of Bitcoin, but it is at the end of the day, it's a fork of Bitcoin. Um, and um, it has made a bunch of contributions that Bitcoin at some point took in, uh, and uh, th- that provides a lot of value uh, for both Bitcoin and Litecoin. And uh, like you said, uh, Corey, like it, uh, we can't do things willy-nilly on the Bitcoin network because that's a lot of um, uh, that's a lot of uh, assets on the line. Uh, if something breaks, you know, I think the the Segwit protocol. Uh, the segwit 2x i think when it was being um pushed uh when uh, i know that the consensus wasn't a, uh wasn't sufficient at the end but uh the same code that ran actually was broken i can i can remember if it was segwit 2x but there there was essentially some fork proposed fork for bitcoin uh late last year and the code turned out to be um uh defunct like it would have it would have stalled the network and um <laughs> so like uh, that would be an absolute disaster if it actually happened um and um uh i think I can't remember what the bug was i think it was like a, a off by one uh uh bug As so always it, was like a, it is <laughs> so just like you know the guy, that's, imagine being the guy that wrote that code <laughs> like, you know it's uh, this is a very it's a tough system and uh, I think these tiers of coins are uh, you know arguably at least uh, need to be part of the uh, ecosystem
0: all right well uh, I think that's a great way to wrap this up thanks for coming on the show um, I look forward to kind of seeing the progress you made with uh Masari and the white paper of of the block tree. I I like looking at new ways of making this stuff scale and seeing how it applies or what how it works and what its limitations are. So um, for the listeners out there, how can they get a hold of you, get in contact with you, learn more?
2: Uh, so uh, we have a Discord uh, that they uh, they can hop on. Uh, I'm on there uh, quite often, and it's a fairly large community. I think there's. If we haven't hit 2,000 people yet, there's uh, at least 2,000 registered people there. And uh, you can find the link on getmasari.org. And uh, there's a bunch of other links there as well to our GitHub, to our Twitter. And uh, it's a fairly simple website, but at least the important stuff is there. And uh, if you need to uh, email me, uh, you can just uh, contact mail at getmasari.org and uh, you, can, you can get me that way.
0: Great, all right, um, audience. If you would like more of hashing it Out, click the like button, click the subscribe button, tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your dog, tell everybody.
1: Don't tell your goldfish, it'll forget. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks for coming <laughs> on the show, guys.
0: and we'll uh, see you all next week. It's been a pleasure. Cheers.